Obviously, Doctor, you've never been a 13-year-old girl. I Welcome back to Heat Fiction. I'm here today with a very special guest. Um, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Harry Tafoya. I'm a writer. My favorite art critic on Twitter as well, by the way. <laughs> uh, thank you. You're my favorite e-girl. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so, yeah. Um, so the reason I invited you on here today um, is to talk about, actually, I don't even know how to describe this topic, to be honest. Like, I just described it to you before we start recording, but I don't know how to put it into words. Um, uh, the, 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 the distinction between... Um, internet-based culture of the 2010s and real-life culture of the 2010s. Is, is that good enough? Does that seem to <laughs> describe it well? Yeah. Yeah. I think that what we're going to talk about is like a very pivotal hinge moment where mm. there was still a foot in reality um, that actually informed very, very online culture as yeah. opposed to like what we have now, which is like the total, um, you know, fashion as being a bunch of, a, a series of avatars and affects online. Right. But I actually, actually, that's one of the thoughts that I had um, before I started recording. Because <laughs> we were supposed to record like 20 minutes ago. And then I was like, no, wait a second. I had an idea. I have to write it down. But um, um, one of the thoughts that I had 20 minutes ago was that actually, in a way, I think that fashion now, like the way people dress now is more and more influenced by the runways again. Um like, I think it's, it's kind of like a, like an interchangeable relationship, right? Like it's mutual, but I think like just looking at like wave girls on Twitter or like, you know, like all those Instagram blogs and stuff, I think people are starting to look at runaways again. Well, as for like 10 years, no one cared about it at all. At Where least like on the again? internet. What do you mean? Like, 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 like what runways are they looking at? Like, like what designers are they like? Actually, that's for? a good that's a good, yeah, that's actually a good point because I think they're looking at the past of anything because they're looking yeah. at like 90s runaway culture. They're not yeah. looking at the There's that really funny post that was like, um, I want to be a supermodel in the 90s. <laughs> the person was like, no, no, that's way too late for that now. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I mean, my entire thing with it is like, because I would disagree with you. I would say like, I feel... Um, for people, I feel like most people don't care, which is kind of how it's always been. And then the people mm -hmm. who do care are looking, um, I don't know, at, at digital avatar people more than anyone else. And by digital avatar people, like, I mean, like, um, you know, looking at the style of e-girls. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, Dasha, right? Dasha, like that, that's yeah. a, a huge influence for everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, which, I mean, her style as well is very much influenced by, like, typical e-girl fashion, though. You know, like, tennis mm -hmm. skirts and, like, um, flowery dresses and whatever. Like, that kind of stuff. It's just more yeah. sophisticated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, um, I don't know. It's been very weird. My, my um, I don't know. I've been thinking about this a lot because um, I ghosted an editor over this, like, prompt. Um, but, like, COVID fashion was such a weird moment to have, like, like when fashion just started happening again after the pandemic. Um, because like, I feel like we haven't fully gotten out of the slump. 
you know, like the um, kind of couch potato, um, uh, you know, wear, wear pajamas, don't wear bottoms on your Zoom call kind of thing. Um, just like the, the shift from that to being fashionable again felt so fraudulent and weird. And also like it didn't really have much root in daily experience because like, you know, these runway shows have these beautiful clothes, but where would you wear them to? You couldn't wear them to the office. You couldn't wear them on like a night out. You know, you're gonna eat, like you're gonna wear them reading at home or something. Like it, you know, the, the bar was so lowered and felt so schizophrenic. So I mean, like I don't know. The only purpose for having clothes, it seemed, during the pandemic, was like to be online with them. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. Actually, mm-hmm. that kind of makes me think of, um, like, because the whole thing with like hood by air and sort of the fashion of the early 2010s, I mean, just of the 2010s in general was the fact like it was all about like um, graphic t-shirts and like logos and like stuff that basically looks like merch for capitalism, you know, because it's like huge logos <laughs> and like, like all that stuff. And it's like, because I mean, sure, hood by air was like doing interesting, like deconstructive stuff and like silhouettes and stuff. But I mean, no one was buying that stuff. The only stuff that people were buying were the t-shirts and the hoodies and you know the 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 huge logo stuff and so that I I guess it kind of relates to that as well where it's like you know you can't wear any any you can't really wear any of the beautiful stuff but you can wear the stuff that implies that you know about the beautiful stuff yeah well but like the hood by air thing that was like it's it's the complete opposite because like um I don't know. I made I made that, that little document of like the things to like look over, yeah. but like they have like that. You know, there's a the Christopher Glazik New Yorker article about Hood by Air talks about um, how practical Shane Oliver's like actual sense of designing was because he was somebody who um, wanted to have a wardrobe that could co- like confirm to the like the semi like to the like to the different places that he was negotiating in New York city, because he went to art school. Um, you know, he, he lived like on the block, um, and he lived like in nightclubs, you know? So if you could wear something that had, um, traction and power and all three, you know, that would be such a, a, a rich thing to kind of embody, but you're right there too, because like, <laughs> it is, um, like what Hood Bayer is known for is like the ultra super graphic tees. I don't think that like, it's funny because Balenciaga, I think, is actually more guilty of this, right? Like, um, or like Vetmont, you know, like they took that element from Hood by Air and then like made it the ultra capitalist kind of thing. Um, right. Whereas I think that like original Hood by Air was all about like the sensibility, right? Like, you know, we are black gay guys who like Marilyn Manson as much as we love, um, I don't even know, like <laughs> Aphex Twin as much as we love, you know, ballroom culture. You know, yeah, as much as we love um what is that show called? Um Pose. Oh my god. The Ryan Murphy show? No, no. Um the Project Runway? No. Um they had that collaboration with um was that show with Taraji P. Henson? I'm gonna play I'm blinking so hard. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> they had this show. Oh my god, I'm gonna find out. I'm looking at it up right now. Um forgive me. No oh, Empire. Oh, right, Empire. right. Yeah, they had that collaboration with that brand, with, with, with that show too. Oh, really? That's yeah. cool. That's kind of cool. Um, yeah. yeah. 
No, but that's actually one of the other things that I thought about before we started recording. I literally had no thoughts about this for like two days and I was really worried about it. And then it literally yeah. hit me like 20 minutes before we started recording. But like, um, another thing that hit me was that like, because the thing with Hood by Air is that, um, it was very much rooted in, as you said, like everyday real life experiences and the people, it it was kind of old fashioned in the way that the brand functioned because, you know, it was all these like LGBT, whatever collaborators. And it was rooted in like the history of being gay and being queer and being black and whatever, and all those things. And it was very much rooted. Yeah. in, in those people's everyday experiences and how they like saw the world and interacted with it. So in a way, like, wait, so go for it. Sorry. Um, but more specifically too, like in a club setting as well, because like this was about these were these were closed for like, you know, sure day-to-day stuff, but then also like going out and looking good. And I think that's even more old-fashioned in a way too. Like um, you know, clothes that kind of define how you move in a nightclub. Like how can you dance in this? Like how do you know, does it does it give you movement? Does it give you whatever? That's actually a really interesting point because yeah, I mean, now, especially, you know, I haven't been to a club in two years. Uh, so, <laughs> like, I don't even remember what it's like. So like, it's like, I think people now don't think about nightlife as much as they used to. And so designing and dressing for nightlife or the club seems kind of, I mean, yeah. like a faraway concept at least for me I don't know I don't know why I haven't been to a club in two years it just kind of happened that way I know and you and you were living in London too or like you know days is like so up its own ass like loving its own nightlife culture oh god yeah <laughs> I have a lot of things to say about that but I think also part of it though is like you know days is annoying and hood buyer isn't um because like that was a culture that was so like that, like that kind of club scene was so overlooked for so long and was able to kind of develop its own conventions naturally, develop its own tastes naturally, um, draw from like, uh, I don't know, like Caribbean communities in New York, um, as much as like just straight up gay shit. Um, and then the, the, the thing about days is like, it feels like so premeditated and like, literally Lee Bowery like 30 years later yeah it does I mean all of it looks over stylized and like over accessorized you know like none of it seems like all the photos that they take for days especially like the day's Instagram account which literally triggers (laughs) something like it triggers so many feelings in me but like it's just it seems so over the top that they're not even trying to like hide the fact that they have no connection with like real life nightlife or like real life anything it's like a fantasy world where it's still the 90s but we have smartphones you know yeah exactly yeah and we're all sex positive and we're all uh, right yeah yeah. i mean days is very much like yeah, exactly. It's like, I mean, I did an episode on like Greg Araki and the new queer cinema movement a couple of weeks ago, but it's like, it very much feels like that. It feels like a Greg Araki movie set in the 2020s with yeah. like smartphones and like everyone's even more gay. Like that's what yeah. it's like, that's what they're going for, which is just yeah. like not real life at all. But it's interesting though, because I think Dazed and I mean, ID as well and all those magazines, they're kind of like, um, the way that they are now is much more rooted in Tumblr culture than like real life culture as it is totally. with like Diz Magazine or like, you know, Hood by Air or whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know hundred percent because like, um, I don't know, there's like, there's like point, there's like, I don't know. I think a lot about um, James St. James, who was the, the, the kind of, you know, lead, he, he, like one of the lead figures for the club kids, but then also like one of like the best doormen that like New York City's ever seen. And like the kind of ethos of like, no, no, we have the mix, you know, like the culture will arise out of the mix of people that we can kind of get. And what you kind of get already is like a predetermined, you know, like um, overly fetishized, like art student kind of demographic that isn't really interested in art. They're interested in hanging out and being rich and creative in the city. But like they're, they're demographically the same though, you know? Which sucks like, because like, I don't know, I want um, straight people to be straight. I want gay people to be gay and I want us all to hang out. So let's do that. Right. But it's not, but it's not about hanging out as much as it is about looking like you're hanging out. Right. Like the whole ethos of yes. like days and magazines like that nowadays is that like, you know, you have to, it's very much, it's very much style over substance, which I, like I personally think I am a style over substance person or I'm becoming mm-hmm. a style over substance person. But I think the style there seems so out of place and so outdated that it's not even style. It's just like, whatever. Yeah. Well, but like the thing about like style though, is like, (laughs) like actually having style is a pretty moral thing actually, because like, um, how do you thematically unify yourself as a person that like, you know, all clothes cohere to your body that all like, I don't know. Um, (laughs) <laughs> there's there's something to be said about like um knowing yourself and what you stand for and what you want to look like um i don't know right. right now, but like yeah uh uh that, that's something that's lost in in you know just like the uh constant spectacle chasing and trend chasing that you kind of see in dazed right yeah but that's that's kind of i think in a way hood by air and brands like that or like brands that stole from hood by air can in a way be blamed for it i mean not directly isn't like Mm -hmm. they didn't they didn't anticipate it they didn't you know they didn't create it but the people that they influence are very much like that right because it's like oh you have this idea of smart fashion you have this idea of like fashion that stands for something and if you wear Mm -hmm. this brand and if you like you know if you hang out with these people who wear this this brand then you're this kind of person but like and that's again, it like goes back to like um, huge logo T-shirts and like graphic tees and stuff, where it's like you yeah. know, it literally it's literally written on you what it is that you stand for. And I think Balenciaga and Vitmol are like the two that are most responsible for it. Obviously, yeah. like so over and, the top that it's obvious. And it's funny because like the intellectual background. Okay, hear me out. Um, yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> like the intellectual, like the most intellectual designer of of recent years like dean kissick wrote a big thing about like how grimes is um you know pioneering like a new kind of post-humanism but that idea is like pure telfar like telfar was the one who really articulated that in his own clothing um of of hyper banality and being a kind of um he even had like that new museum show like where like he was designing i don't know clothes for avatars in cyberspace um but you know, like, like that's still, he's thinking that way. And, and he's, um, I don't know what I'm saying right now. Uh, uh, this is one of those things where like, I've had so many thoughts at once that I'm kind of short circuiting slightly. Um, I okay, guess what I would say time. is like, <laughs> um, like, okay. So, um, the, the inheritors and the people who have kind of lifted, um, the style motifs from head by air, probably Demna and, and is, is the most influential of them, like the most visible one. Um, and 
there was that Dean Kissick article that came out. He has like this column, the downward spiral. Um, and it said something along the lines of like, Demna is somebody who does dress for avatars more than for people. Right. Like, right, you know, yeah. you can think of that, that Mon show where it's like, um, it's a homeless man. It's a street punk. It's a bride. You right. Know? Yeah. But, but like that kind of thinking, the person who did that first and who articulated the best, I think is Telfar, you know, Telfar was the kind of person who said like, let's design for entering into cyberspace. Let's say, you know, um, and I think that unless you have like a strong moral background um, and some like kind of very like, you know, sophisticated, like um, stake claimed for the kind of person you want to be in the kind of way you want to look, you do just end up, um, I don't know, endlessly chasing graphic tees with less and less meaning to them. B-A-N-A-L-I-T-Y, banality. My other problem with like magazines like Dace and stuff is that, again, that they over-accessorize. So I think Mm -hmm. accessories become like a huge element of this look of like, again, like, yeah, hyper banality, but also just like, just banality in general. Like it's so banal and it's so boring and it's so overdone where it's like, like, I think, okay. Cause the thing with over accessorizing is that that was a huge element of the 2010s and that's what made the 2010s look so cheap. Right. Like the sort of the prevalence of, um, the prevalence of like uh, fast fashion and the fact that sort of there was no distinction between fast fashion and high fashion at some of those points. Like if you look at movies like um, The Bling Ring, right? Yeah. It's like you have these teenagers that are stealing these expensive clothes for the, from these celebrities and stuff, but they look like they could have bought that at H&M, you know? Yeah. Like, it looks yeah, so cheap. About, that was a big complaint about Hetty. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like... I think dazed magazines like that are still stuck in that mindset where even expensive things kind of look cheap mm-hmm. while as the rest of the world is kind of moving past that now where things are starting to look expensive again and looking expensive is sort of the aim that at least girls on the internet have. Yeah. It's weird that because like, I don't know. I wish that, um, one thing that I think I was thinking about this earlier, like, um, the impact that like not having sewing skills has had on the mm. world as well. Like our capacity to actually invent clothes on like a kind of popular level is also kind of made us more and more dependent upon like the teat of fast fashion. Um, and I think that's also kind of a set to a certain degree, like a, a ceiling on the creativity that people can have with their own clothes. Um you just buy it, it's cheaper. You don't need to learn the skill in the first place. Why would you, um, you know, people, I don't know, most people I know like can knit at most, um, or like maybe like sew on a badge or something, but like, I don't know, like I, I, you know, the license you could actually have with your clothes, there's not a ton of it. And it doesn't really correspond to like lived experience though, either. Right. But that's why the, that's where accessories come in though, right? Because everyone knows how to make a bracelet and you can buy yeah, them anywhere, sure. right? So it's like, that's where, so the idea of like personalizing your style, personalizing your look and whatever went from like, yeah, sewing your own clothes or like sort of changing, changing your clothes to fit your personality or the look you want to embody to accessorizing your look in a particular way so that it embodies you. I mean, yeah. you know, 
I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen Skins, but that's the whole thing with Effie, right? Like her look yeah. was so over, over accessorized to the point where there, there's some scenes and she's wearing like 20 bracelets on her arm. It looks kind of ridiculous, but it's like, <laughs> but that's, that's the look like that. Mm. That's, that's the look of the 2010s. Was she the um, anorexic girl? No, no, no. She was the party okay. girl. She's the one with the, she's the one with like the, um, the smoky eye. I'm okay. sure you've seen those. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I like the anorexic girl more. Yeah, she's kind of uh, she's kind of quirky. Um, <laughs> Shout out to her. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shout out to her. But um, yeah. Yeah. This is. I mean, this is like even. Damn! Look at these looks. Sorry, I'm looking at her now. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm 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 hoping that like, um, like Zoomers will really bite the bullet on like Ots revivalism by like going full Kiki Cannibal. <laughs> Like that would be very exciting for me. I mean, Y two K is kind of over. Oh, dead. No, what's next? I don't know. Maybe we'll actually invent something new. But I was actually, um, I don't remember her name. I was actually like going, this, there's this girl on Instagram. I literally don't remember her handle or anything, but she was like going on this rant in her Instagram story about how like um, fashion is like too intellectual now. And she likes cheap stuff like Brandy Melville <laughs> or whatever, because it has like a, and like, you know, like an allure of like the everyday and that's how people think and whatever. She was like talking about, um, <laughs> Yeah, like the creation of something new, just sort of out of the, um, out of the context of the past. Uh, I wish I could like you know shout her out, but I genuinely don't remember her name or her handle, so whatever. But um, I just memorable. thought that was it. Yeah, it, it is kind of memorable. Yeah, um, but I think, but I think again, it's like all interconnected with like that period of the early 2010s when like those things sort of collided and merged together but then diverged and I think because the other thing that you kind of brought up in connection to Hood by Air and that element of culture was queer rap which I yeah. think uh, as you described it in the document to me it was a movement but not quite a movement um, no I was thinking about this like it was truly you know a moment I think is, is, mm. is probably what you would probably describe it best as like um it was this moment where, because it wasn't bound up, I mean, th there wasn't a common sound to it. Um, the people were not very similar in themselves. It was in New York, kind of, but mostly online. Um, and I think it was like, I mean, I have a lot of tenderness and affection for it because like, it seemed like one of the last times where you could be you know, it really did kind of embody the potential to be like queer and diverse and black and all these kind of things without the kind of overt hostility or kind of tribalism that like identity politics kind of brought in. You know, this is like one of those um, kind of things where you could be overtly, um, you know, antagonistic and, and, and hostile and, and so like fiercely gay or so fiercely black, but like you would be met on your own terms or you could be still. Um, you know, maybe this is a bit imagined on my part, but like I, um, I, you know, saw this kind of wave of um, this wave of music and was like so um, enthralled by it because I did think that it actually was reflective of like really cool people who um, were not hung up on ID politics and who, um, I don't know, really did kind of unite on the grounds of culture. 
Right. Because I think it is actually rooted in the culture of the past though. Right. Cause it's the yeah. whole thing with like, um, cause it was like, again, rooted in like ballroom culture and just like the culture of New York city in general. That's the thing though, because yeah. it was, it was a centralized thing, right? Like it was very much an NYC based moment. Kind of, but then like, you also think to yourself too, like the main rappers who came out of that all wanted to be different things. So like they had, you know, maybe like some common background in the sense of like they were, you know, black gay in a New York city, but then McKee Blanco wanted to be Kathleen Hanna. Um, <laughs> uh, Zebra cats like wanted to be like a warped records. Um, you know, but he wanted to be like tricky. Mm. I don't know, the, the, the points of, of, you know, the points of it, yeah, I think it was more so like, you know, they were all here in a critical mass. They all wanted to do their own thing. And I think that like the one constant thing, like, like they had the geographical thing in common of being in New York together, but like they also had like that kind of access to everything that the internet afforded at the same time too. Right. But I do think the location is important. I think... Yes. I think that's why it feels so distinctly like that's why it feels different from the rest of the stuff that existed during that period and came out of that period is I think because of the location, like, you know, and all like a lot of those videos, especially with Mickey Blanco, you can see like, you know, the background of New York, which yeah. feels kind of almost, which almost feel, I mean, I know there was, you know, ASAP Rocky and whatever, and all this stuff happening at the same time, but it's like in a way that feels refreshing for mm. quote unquote queer culture or like LGBT culture, because a lot yeah. of it just seems to exist exist in like a weird cyberspace especially now right like it's just like they're singing about imaginary things imaginary ideas imaginary places that don't exist and it's all like like a lot of I think a lot of queer culture obviously that's like a cliche thing to say but it came from tumblr and like tumblr is a space of its own right like it's a cyberspace that feels that had a very distinctive energy and feeling to it it's very different from like like living in New York and just like, I don't know, posting pics on there, you know, like that's a different thing. Yeah. But it's, so, I mean, ASAP Rocky is actually a really interesting kind of foil for these people because like ASAP Rocky, um, I think this, this is kind of get, gets forgotten a little bit, but he was kind of seen as being um, almost a kind of a Texas style rapper. Like he was bringing in kind of production from or trying to replicate a sound that had originated in Texas more than like was trying to engage with a more New York centered sound. But like, you know, anything that did like, like any kind of voguing inflective thing is pure New York. There's like that one, like Azealia Banks's first record is really interesting actually, because like it does have so many different elements that like a New York girl would have access to, right? It has access to Spanish music, it has access to voguing music, it has access to like um, just straightforward hip hop. Like it's so good and rich for that reason. It's so enriched by like actually being from this place and then takes it to the cyber dimension as well. Right, yeah, which is interesting because... Azalea Banks especially has just been taken up by like internet gays. Like she's like the internet gay icon. She's like the the gay icon of the internet age, basically. And yeah. you know, like her use of social media to like sustain her persona and stuff. There, there's a lot of stuff to be said about that. But it's interesting that again, like the reason she still feels refreshing. And obviously, like I know a lot of people have issues with her for whatever reasons, but it's like yeah. there is something refreshing just about her um honesty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember, um, you know, drag race is another kind of interesting thing that like is happening at the same time too. That's almost like consolidating and corporatizing into 
this big queer industry. Um, right. But she had like this, there's like this, um, I don't, I don't pay attention to drag in Brooklyn, but there was like some kind of festival. Um, I think it was Bushwig um, where she was performing um, and she was getting shit from people being like, why did you invite this like transphobic girl to the thing? And she was like, um, you know, the New York city drag scene was uh, almost entirely black and entirely gay for so long. And if you think that you're going to exclude me on the grounds of me being transphobic and you also being somebody who like, this is a finally a safe subject matter and like a, like a safe medium for you to engage in, like you can go fuck off. Like that's so like, she has like such a, like, I mean, what's most redeemable about Azalea Banks to me is like, she has a really intense love and ownership. that's so rooted in like engaging mm. with, I don't know, all that culture in the first place. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was kind of surprised to see, yeah, one of the tracks from her first record on the list that you made for me. But then I listened to it. And I was like, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. Of course. How did I not think, how did I not think of this before? <laughs> the reason she's so protective of these things is because she comes from those places for whatever yeah. fucking reason. Um, but <laughs> this is this is such a tangent, but like, I don't know if you've seen that video of her with Cara Delevingne and like Cara no. Delevingne is like, uh, is like whispering something in her ear. She's like trying to like take the microphone from her and she's like saying mm. random shit. And it's like the video is from like a couple of months ago. And it's oh, like, wow. um, but like, you know, that whole thing where it's like whatever celebrity gets seen with Cara Delevingne, like they're either gay or bi or whatever. Cause she's just like a magnet. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, I would call her like a black void. I wouldn't call her a magnet. True. Yeah. <laughs> she's kind of a black void. So it's a better term for her. Oh my God. Did she peg the patriarchy in this video? Um, yeah, she definitely did. By annoying the <laughs> fuck out of Azalea Banks. No, she, uh, but Cara is another interesting thing because she is kind of an element of like 2010s queer culture as well. Cause she was like a, she was like huge. She has. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm going to explain this. Um, she yeah, was like yeah. a huge thing on Tumblr for yes. like two months. <laughs> like, okay. I mean, two months is a bit like, you know, I'm not being generous, but like uh, probably for like six months, she was a really big thing. You know, yeah. she would like, she embodied a lot of those like Tumblr um, aesthetic ideas by wearing, um, I don't know, graphic t-shirts and like funny mm. caps and whatever, like stuff like that. And like leather jackets, yeah. um, skinny jeans. And then when she came out, that was like a huge thing on Tumblr as well, because, oh, this girl who was like so popular and like skinny, pretty sad girl Tumblr is now mm. part of like queer tumblr as well by mm -hmm. like being gay or lesbian or whatever she yeah. is and it's like she kind of embodies those two um ideas in herself or at least used to and i think she's kind of an interesting sort of figure of that time did she date saint vincent am i making that up yeah she, she did. did yeah she did, she did. Yeah. yeah at that time also she's a weird yeah she's a weird one i, I never i haven't really uh reckoned with with Cara Delevingne the same way like I mean in my mind she's um she's purely the girl with the eyebrows making a funny face like she's almost like proto like Charlie D'Amelio to me or somebody you know like interesting she has like, that, she has like um like she's pretty but then like her accessibility comes from the fact that even though she's an aristocrat and even though she's like 
you know, intimidatingly pretty. She's like the accessibility is all through her face and all through like her mannerisms and her physicality. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. And again, I think she's one of those it's because she was one of the, I remember reading an article about her in like the early 2010s, like when she was first becoming a thing and she was kind of dubbed like the first, um, social media supermodel because Mm -hmm. she was, because she was kind of a really, you know, high paid, high fashion model for a while before she quit to do acting or whatever. But like her, she comes from there, but the way that she used social media and the way that she sort of presented herself on social media was more, it was more similar to like, yeah, like TikTok stars. So she kind yeah. of embodied those two ideas in herself by like existing in that way. Do you think that Sky Ferreira predates her? Um, I think they were around the same time. Around the same time, sure. Right. Yeah. But yeah. the thing with Sky Ferreira though, is that Sky Ferreira is like purely Tumblr, right? Like Tumblr fucking yes. need her. But like with Kara, it's more, she embodies like the other part of the internet, like the more sort of millennial Buzzfeed, mm-hmm. whatever part of the internet, yeah. you know? Yeah. I getcha. I'm just thinking also thinking of like also Rand's like number Charlotte free. Oh, yeah, I do. What <laughs> happened to her? What happened to know. her? I think she like stopped being pink hair. She's really oh. pretty anyway, so like whatever. Yeah. Fine. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it probably says something like former celebrity on her Wikipedia page. Because it's oh the thing God. with Corey Kennedy. <laughs> like when you look up Corey Kennedy on Wikipedia, it comes out that she's like a former internet celebrity. It's oh been sad. God. How bleak is that? Mm, yeah <laughs> i mean if, 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 I, if i ever have a wikipedia i'd rather not have a wikipedia page than have my wikipedia yeah. page say that i was a former internet celebrity than oh fucking crush me yeah minor internet celebrity even worse <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like, yeah exactly no but it's i think i think those girls are interesting in that way yeah especially Kara. i think and, and and what happened to Kara now and what she embodies now also sort of says a lot about um like the internet culture of that time. Yeah. The way, like the what way been, her- what, what, what has she even been doing for the past? Cause like, I'm again, like I'm not someone who's like kept tabs on Cara Delevingne at all. Um, I don't, I, she was in a couple movies. She was in a John okay. Green movie. She was not um, Valerian <laughs> movie. She was uh, in some other movies. And then I think she's been dating. She's been dating people. She's been dating like famous girls. She dated Ashley um, Benson, I think her name is. Oh, yeah, yeah. The girl from that. Spring Breakers. Um, yeah. She left. I'm, I'm she, so she left. This girl. What? I'm like so hostile to this girl. Like, like again, like, it's like I, 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 like I remember like when the um, when the peg the patriarchy like photo came out, I was like, this this is a person who um, I know you have affection for her because of her being online, but I was like, this is like a person who has like been thrust down my throat in a certain sense. Like, I know that she has roots to a certain online element, but like, um, this is a person for whom like you actually could critique on the grounds of being privileged because like there's nothing else there like you, you know she we have to like deal like with her fucking goofy face and like how endearing she is like fuck off bitch like you're not even giving anything generous oh yeah God, she's not so fun <laughs> she's so quirky she's so, so quirky she's so different yeah, um fuck off, no bitch. Like, <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's very sad. I mean, I used to have affection for her, I guess a part of me still does, but she alongside with Mark Jacobs have been like the two biggest disappointments of my life. Oh, like, you know, gosh, it's like that know. moment where it's like, I root it for you and you did this to me. <laughs> like I, I literally can't look at her without being like super sad and disappointed. It's quite I, upsetting actually. You, I can't, um, I can't give up Mark Jacobs. Me neither, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love him too. But like every time, like I have to look at his face now. I'm like, oh, do you really have to do this? <laughs> Does this really have I, to be this way? I just like always like, like he's always been, I mean, I, I can forgive him a lot actually, because like, he's never been classy to me. If that mm -hmm. makes sense. Like he's always been capable of making very beautiful things, but then like, he was the guy who dated the, who like dated the porn star for forever and like proposed to his husband via flash mob at Chipotle. <laughs> like, I like, did not know that. Oh my God. What? Yeah. He did? Yeah. <laughs> like with his dumb muscle slut husband. And it's, um, I think, <laughs> I think that's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that is beautiful. That's so romantic. Wow. Yeah. Actually that kind of redeems him in my eyes, to be honest. Yeah. No, I mean, he's never, He's never been classy. That's why he's great. But I think I'm not even upset about heaven. I'm not upset about any of that stuff. I'm not about, upset about him, you know, recycling his old designs and re-releasing the grunge collection. I'm not upset about yeah. that. I'm just upset about his like dumb nail polish and eyeliner and whatever yeah. else he's doing. That it's actually genuine. It's not a good look. It's not a good, good look. look. I like the pajamas. He had a period of like wearing dresses for a year. Mm -hmm. Where like, I mean, like also like immediately after him being like ripped as like like also like naked mark, like like ripped body and tattoos. Like the the, the pajamas followed after that and then the dresses. <laughs> but the thing is, is like those actually look kind of good somehow. Yeah. I'm not sure how exactly, but it, it, it was something. Hmm. That's about it, you know yeah <laughs> it's just i mean he's disappointing but also he's kind of endearing and i mean i don't know i just really hate those like pillbox whatever you yeah. know those bags i fucking despise them every time yeah, i see yeah. one i want to i want to scream <laughs> i'm just like ready to like collapse on the ground i, mean, I hate uh, those you should like lean into vandalism just do it yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, next time I see well, one, I'm just like ripping it off someone's shoulder. What we haven't talked about, which I think would actually be like a very kind of good segue though also is like, um, we haven't talked about Midland, ugly models. Oh yeah. And like okay. that kind of social media cachet as well, because like that's also something that like, it was already like in the atmosphere, but like Hood Buyer in particular, like ratcheted up to 500 million. Right. But it yeah. became like a viable business plan as well. Yeah. I mean, I like, I like ugly models. I, I think they're too. cool. I yeah. have, I, I'm not like one of those people who's like, oh, everyone's so I'm against nepotism models, but I'm not against, I mean, to a certain extent, I think, but like, for example, I think, um, what's her name? Iris Law, Jude Law's daughter really pisses yeah. me off. Um, like every time I look at her, I'm like, no, I can't, I can't do this. But like Kate Moss's yeah, daughter is cool. Like, I don't know. I think, I think 
I think if your parents, like if your mom was a model and you're a model now, but you're like shorter and uglier than her, you should be allowed to do more Jacobs campaigns. I think that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Like if your dad is a shoot law and has nothing to do with fashion and then you randomly decide to like, then you randomly have a modeling yeah. contract. That's where I have yeah. a problem with you. I um, like, okay. This is an unpopular opinion. I like Coco Gordon more. Me too. I like her too. Yeah. I like her too. Yeah. I think that like her, she actually does have um, the belle ladure, right? She has like, the kind of ugly prettiness. Um, yeah. I think, I think she has it. Yeah, I think she has it as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. I fucking hate Kim Gordon, but I like her. Um, I also liked her. I actually I started liking her after she did like an interview with some magazine. It might have been dazed, honestly. But like they were <laughs> like, um, "Are you uh, are you a vegan?" And she was like, "No, I never give up meat." And she like said it in such like a, which is like <laughs> it's like totally doesn't align with her politics or anything. And I was like, yeah. hmm, interesting. <laughs> you know, well, she's a very contradictory person. I like that. Um, and yeah. I liked her ever since. And I like that people confuse her for Chloe Seventy all the time. I think that's funny. Yeah really funny actually <laughs> yeah like <laughs> like i think it was like the daily mail who like published mm-hmm. an article and they were like chloe 70 hangs up with kim gordon in la and it was like oh my god <laughs> i think that was so cool good. yeah I, um, my best friend was a model at this time as well and it was very funny to like hear her get marketed in a similar vein alongside these people because she is like very striking you know, mm-hmm. she, she's very, um, there's like a profile of her. Um, what, let me find it actually. Um, because I want to get the headline <laughs> right because it's so funny. It's like Athena Wilson's androgyny isn't a gimmick. Yeah. Model <laughs> Athena Wilson's androgyny isn't a gimmick in the cut circa 2013. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, but yeah, it was, it's funny like to have like, for your, like your best friends, like to have that happen. Sorry to name dox you bestie (laughs) (laughs) um no that's cool yeah that's i mean that's a cool i mean what did they mean by this though like what what does the headline mean (laughs) well i mean like it's one of those beautiful things but it doesn't mean anything yeah (laughs) true true yeah it's it's not like her art her her art pop could mean anything you know like it really could yeah it's like gibberish yeah exactly but I think it's really funny that the 2010s also had that like androgyny revival, as you said, with like the Midland agency and like ugly models in general, where it's like, mm-hmm. is, she, is she a boy? Is she a girl? Yeah. <laughs> um, who are they? But like, I think, and it's interesting that like, even like in 2011, um, androgyny could still be cool and sexy. And yeah. now it's like full and disgusting. I was just looking at the dazed Instagram just now because... Um, you reminded me to do so. And like these fucking <laughs> pictures of Harry Styles are so disgusting. What an abomination that, that man is. Something in me. Yeah, God. It was cool. The whole, you know, the whole, um, who is it? Harris Reed, I think his name is. The designer mm-hmm. who um, dresses him. That was cool for like exactly a year. Like when his... <laughs> album came out he was kind of like wearing all those like you know um girly shirts and whatever it was like okay you hang out with stevie nicks i get it you know yeah it seems glam rock enough yeah it was like yeah exactly it was like you know the velvet gold mine enough where i was like i can i can i can live with this but like a fucking photo they released on halloween that was like him uh, dressed in a who was it? Shirley Temple costume? What was that costume? Oh, it was Dorothy from Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah, yeah. God, that that was fully disgusting. <laughs> Did you see the one that came out 
today. I just DM no. you on, on Instagram. Look that up real quick because it's um, so oh. ugly. Okay. <laughs> it's so gross. I, I don't want to see it. <laughs> wearing polka dot tights. Oh no! Oh God! <laughs> Jesus, days just keeps on. Days just keeps on giving. <laughs> you know who? Like I love though. Yeah, I, I actually like dazed beauty. Mm, I do too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Days Beauty is genius to me. D A Z E Days. I think there's going to be something in London next year. I just have a feeling about it. You know. Yeah. Like, I feel I like think... it's bombed. Like, like I feel like it's bombed out enough because of like COVID and Brexit that like something cool could come from London again. Whereas like New York is like sustainably unsustainable in its awfulness. Um, <laughs> that it could go yeah. on forever no every time someone dms me and they're like oh, you should come to new york you you should move to new york you'd have so much fun in new york i'm like no i fucking wouldn't like i just yeah. know i would hate it because i, I think the thing fun. i mean we'd I'd have probably, fun. we'd have fun but i would yeah. hate it too um sure. no i think it's just also like my whole brand is like but i'm a european i couldn't <laughs> i couldn't <laughs> Like I couldn't. European, I couldn't. just from fucking Estonia. <laughs> yeah, um, I have an EU passport. Okay, I can. <laughs> okay, okay, sure, sure. Yeah, exactly. You're like, um, yeah. Estonia is the Paris of um, <laughs> the Baltics. <laughs> yeah, it is actually, unironically, but it's so funny. It is, because, I know. You know that scene from Girls where Hannah is like in Ohio and she's like calling Marnie and she's like, you know, I feel like I could really start something here. I feel like that could be a revolution in Ohio. And Marnie, yeah, yeah. Like, it's fucking, that's what I feel like every time I talk to my friends in London and they're like, yeah. Yana, you live in the middle of nowhere. What are you talking about? Nothing's going like, come from here. We, we say that, but then it's like Estonia has, because of like, I don't know, the push to like tech, Estonia is actually like so much further ahead of like, you know, um, and because of like, the government set up, like, like the art infrastructure in Estonia is actually really good. And a lot of like the kind of like conceptual, no, it's true. It's, but then like a lot of the concept, like, like when post net art happened, I'm just thinking like Katya Novotovska. She lives in Berlin. She doesn't live here. Okay. But like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, okay, it has a lot of it has a lot of potential in terms of like human talent. Not to sound really creepy, but you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of creative people here, and I think the sort of yeah the history of the country and sort of the infrastructure allows for a lot of that. But anyone has anything to say moves. Everyone leaves. (laughs) You can't stay here. So it's like then you. And then you this get is going to like, be our project. We're going to make Estonia the new Dime Square, the Dime Square of Europe. <laughs> <laughs> the Dime Square of Europe. Uh, no, yeah. but it's all fucking startups. It's all startups and tech bros. I think I live in yeah. San Francisco, but it's cold. So I was in San Francisco for seven years before moving here. Ooh, who's that? It was awful. Oh my God. It was like so dystopian. It was really, really like awful because like, um, like, I don't know, this is so gay to like say that like, I don't know. My, my my affinity with socialist politics came out of there because like you couldn't the contradictions walking down the street every day were so jarring and glaring that like your head wanted to explode because like I don't know. I, I had to go to work every day downtown, like where like the big skyscrapers were, like the like the um Salesforce Tower, which is the biggest building in all of San Francisco. Um, and they're so beautiful and like sleek and modern and glass and whatever. 
but then like the streets themselves reek of shit that the human like the, the, the police have like hosed down because like the homeless problem has been so bad so just like that medieval element versus the futuristic element was like my brain is going to break if i have to think about this anymore um <laughs> <laughs> and marxism is the, the the science of resolving contradictions so you know <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's kind of an element of that here as well not with the mm. not in terms of like poor people but in terms of just like the medieval architecture yes. that exists in the city and like you yeah. know the, and then you have these like tech bros walking around it's, it's really yeah. funny actually because i mean cool. i think I mean, there is, yeah. I mean, in terms of aesthetics, it has a certain look to it. But I think, yeah, yeah, there could be something here. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's it's not like I can give up my citizenship anyway. Or it's like because Sony has this weird thing where it's like you can't have dual citizenship. So like once I get rid of my passport, I get rid of it forever. So like I don't, but I don't know if I want to lose it. So like the thing with the because the thing with the UK, not to like get into like the boring bureaucratic stuff, but like. Um, because I moved there before Brexit, I have like pre-settled status, which means mm. that I can live there however long I want for whatever reason until 2026. And I can go nice. to university there for free and whatever, not for free, but like cheaper than I would. Um, yeah. I just, I just found out that out like last week, literally, I was like, I thought I was going to have to pay 20 K for art school. No, but it's like, um, yeah. So I was at UAL. Okay. I have a friend who's a goldsmiths. Gold, goldsmiths. Gold. Yeah, goldsmiths. Um, I mean, they're equally awful. <laughs> That's what I hear. I have yeah, some yeah. friends at goldsmiths at all. Yeah, I I tried to um, before I went to I went to Columbia, but I I was looking at um, <laughs> I was looking at Central Saint Martin's. Um, oh yeah, you told me about that for Show yeah. Studio, right? Oh, because I was so inspired by Show Studio, but um, <laughs> because they had a curatorial program that looked really good. I actually looked at the program too. I know which one you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, what's her name? Lou Stoppard radicalized me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God. Good day, good night, but. <laughs> oh god no it's uh but i mean i think art schools i think art schools are dead kind of um i don't yeah. know i've just been i mean i was telling you about this um before i i think that's actually kind of connected to like the theme of this episode in general so i guess i'll just say it now <laughs> i won't cut this part out but i think so um I didn't even do fine arts there. Like I did like um, PR and journalism. Cause like, I was like, Oh, you know, like I don't have any actual talent, but I could be like a facilitator or whatever. Yeah, um, sure, sure. And I, th- and I thought it was, you know, I thought it was going to just like, I was going to like meet cool creative people to collaborate with. And I was like, going to write some articles, publish some magazines, whatever. And then yeah. I get there and it's like, everyone, first of all, we didn't even talk about art, which seems so ridiculous. Wait, like, what? you know, yeah we didn't we didn't talk about it. it was like it was so fucking funny it was like literally the first class we ever had we talked about um politics we talked about trump and yeah. i was like this is ridiculous like That's do ridiculous. you know what this place is and yeah. like uil is a kind of place where like i mean obviously there's central st martin's but it's like a whole other story but it's like yeah you know like the founders of like the face magazines like what like some of the founding members came from the same college i went to and it was yeah. like this thing where it's like, oh, you know, I thought this place was going to be rooted in the history of that. And I wanted to be connected to that. And I want to be like, and I wanted to be one of them, but it's like, you get there and it's like, literally no one cares. Yeah. 
<laughs> like no one cares. And it was like people who thought going to art school would be like the safest option for them because of their like gender identity or whatever. And then you had people oh. who were just like so liberal, they couldn't imagine being anywhere else. Or like yeah. then you had people who didn't get in anywhere else. So they went there and it's just like, it was just so disappointing. And like the teachers, yeah. like um, some of our lecturers were like, you know, they were like, again, contributors for days. <laughs> yeah. And um, and sometimes they'd like tell fun stories about like how they interviewed Morrissey or whatever. But like, yeah. it was never anything beyond that. And so, and then COVID happened and uh-huh. none of that, like being there just made no sense whatsoever anymore. Yeah. Because it was like, and now I don't even like now I don't even get to be in the building anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just think to myself, like, um, like what a fucking decline UK art schools have undergone because like, you know, like fuck, fuck the face. Like, like what the best thing that's ever come out of art schools is like punk music and glam rock and all that kind of shit. Like, like, you know, fuck up students who got funneled in, um, like, like fucked up like working class students who like also got to hobnob with aristocrats and like have like a common meeting space as opposed right. to like it being like a safe space for like um, I don't know fucking like unresolved <laughs> um, quote unquote queers like like no one wants that kind of shit like I, I would rather like be I don't know you know like like by our, like I guess the kind of theme of this episode is like places where like cross-cultural, cross-backgrounds, actual diversity happens and where people are allowed to self-express freely is where, and also are able to develop a sensibility and have a certain amount of standards. Like that's where good work comes from. Um, And the like university system and like the art schools um, are so antithetical to that now because it's only kind of concerned with, with, with pumping out the same kind of like, boring shitty Lee Bowery ass knockoff of designers who can't sell anything in the first place like it's not they don't have scalable businesses so right no exactly I think that's actually it's funny that you mentioned because that's my other problem with it as well is that I think anything that's art now also has to sell and anyone who pretends it doesn't is honestly an idiot like the whole like who would sell about like expressing your whatever emotions ideas that's bullshit that's not true yeah yeah, that's not how it works anymore it hasn't worked like that for like literally 50 years like what are you talking Mm -hmm. about but it's like none of that stuff sells no one cares about that stuff like all those magazines that get founded at those places no one looks at them all those people who like art like write articles for days they don't go anywhere it's like the same thing they end up like working the same like shitty like creative consultancy jobs or whatever but Mm. they don't even get it they don't even get paid for that it's it's like ridiculous there's no money in it there's no creativity in it and there's no money and no creativity then what's the point in general because it's one or the other or two ideally but it's like like if there's neither then what's the point yeah and i mean like the art schools like when they were at their peak were regarded as like cast off institutions where no money could ever be made so like you know they had you know thundering potential but then like it's been since so diluted like i don't know they're not even teaching anything meaningful like useful to to do you couldn't even make money with this kind of skill set no, no one taught me anything. No one taught yeah. me anything. We were really taught how to make a man. We were taught how to, we were told to make a magazine, but like no one actually like taught us anything. 
<laughs> now you have a podcast. <laughs> now I have a podcast. Um, no, but like, oh, we were taught, yeah, we were taught how to um, use old fashioned microphones from like the 90s because that's the only thing the school could afford. And cool. it was so funny because we, like, once we spent like literally like five hours, like, tur- like learning how to use a microphone. And then at the end of the lesson, they were like, oh, but these microphones are going to be like outdated by the time you graduate. So really, like, don't pay attention to it. It's just like part of the curriculum. And it was like, it was ridiculous, it. right? Because it's like you pay so much fucking money for it and you don't get anything out of it. And it's like, yeah. but I think it's again to like bring it back to like Habair and stuff because Shane Oliver dropped out of FIT. Right. And so did Walter yeah. Pierce. And so did a lot of people like, like a lot of people drop out of like fashion schools and art school. And that's the only people who actually do anything meaningful. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just like, I'm just like, so like hung up on like how, um, how much hostility I feel toward art schools right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do I. And I also feel very hostile towards people who are like, like every time like a tweet of mine goes viral, there are some people in my replies who are like, look at her bio. <laughs> and it's like, bitch, I put it there. Like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, exactly. I know what's in my bio. Like, it's, you got like it's, no self-awareness whatsoever. Yeah. Like I'm making a joke. Do <laughs> you like not understand it? No. It's, yeah. Uh, it's I mean, I, I, I think about this all the time with like the UK because I feel like the UK example is like it's so much more because it's a smaller country because it's so much more centralized in terms of culture. Like, um, I should have sent this to you. I mean, I mean, one of my favorite articles ever is by this guy Taylor Parks, who wrote like a postmortem on Britpop, mm. um, and how it was like the willing enabler of. Um, the destruction of everything they loved basically is his like kind of thesis, you know, like, you know, you were allowed to um, LARP basically as the Beatles in the 1960s so that we could gentrify all the neighborhoods you wanted to live in and can completely financialize all creativity in the UK. Um, And I think, I mean, the same thing also too, like he makes another point there also where it's like the kind of creativity that could have been invested in and that could have been very, forward-looking didn't get any of the kind of investment or care that it should have, right? Like, um, how much further abroad would we be as a culture if we, um, um, if Aphex Twin was the center of culture, um, as opposed to, like, fucking Oasis, you know? Like, I like Oasis fine, but, like, you know, we would be so, we'd be light years ahead of where we are at right now, which is, like, having fucking Arca remixes. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, you're right. It actually makes me think of, I know people have been like hating on him and I have a lot of problems, like personal problems with him as well. But like Mark Fisher in Ghosts of My Life, I think the book is called, talks about that as well. Like how Britpop and like the support that Britpop received was kind of the end of like the British invasion because like after that British culture was very much dead. Like again, Mm -hmm. it was like what you're going to give the money, you're going to give all your money to blur, but not like you know yeah. any of like any of the people the who are actually doing music yeah exa- exactly yeah. it's like that was kind of yeah Britpop was kind of the end of, of British dominance and like the entertainment or like music sphere yeah I mean it's just so um it's just so depressing and like I, I really resent having to live like in these um I don't know I I, I um I resent like you know, you, 
you keep tabs on like the ARCA knockoffs who um, are driving music forward, but like they um, are in like their own little private bubble that is so removed from the rest of all people. Um, and then the center is just pure garbage as well too. Like right. what, what's taught. I mean, I mean, that's the other thing too. Like this is an unrelated point, but I think it's also something similar. It's like the hostility, <laughs> like Azealia Banks, Part of the problem with her, to me at least, is that her shit posting reveals a really big lack of ambition because it's clear at this point that she doesn't want to be Beyonce. And then, in fact, nobody wants to be Beyonce because to occupy that space at the center is so undesirable from a creative perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're just going to be a cash machine, you have no autonomy to do anything whatsoever. And it's not in tune with an actual culture. So, why fucking bother? Right. Yeah. No, you're right. I think that's, and I think that's why Red Scare kind of exists in a similar place yeah. as well, right? And like Dasha, especially because of her, like, um, you know, directing, acting ambitions. Yeah. Where, like, it's very clear now that, okay, she's in succession now. She's probably, unless something drastically changes in the culture and it all shifts, like, she's probably not going to be, like, the biggest actress in Hollywood. Like, she no. just can't be because of all the things that she said. It's actually quite yeah. shocking that she's allowed to be in succession in the first place. All the things she but said. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the things she said. Um, but, like there is a certain lack of ambition, but it's a different kind of, I think there's a lack of careerism, but an ambition to actually make things and do things. Right. I think there's a very, I think at some point the two existed as like one unit where it's like, if you were ambitious, you were also careers and you knew how to like make your career based on your ambitions. But because now all this infrastructure has collapsed to be ambitious means to be anti-careerist because you can't be too, like you can be both at the same time. Um, or you can be ambitious. I mean, ambitious with creative integrity. Right. right? Yeah. Because it's like, you can't be, you can't be, um, you can't be at the center of it without having any kind of creative integrity. It seems like now. Right. But careers is kind of the opposite of Right. But careerism is kind of the opposite of it, at least to me, like when people are like, when people talk about like careerism and stuff, what I kind of envision in my head is like, you know, somebody who's like, who just like Beyonce is kind of like a blank canvas that people can project onto who does all the right things and says all the right things and represents all the right things who, you know, collaborates with all the right people, but who Mm -hmm. doesn't actually have any vision or idea you know, grand idea of once of what she wants to embody, which is very yeah. different from like someone who like Madonna, right. Who's like, who in the past was both a careerist and an ambitious person because the two could exist as one thing. Well, as now it's yeah. like, and it's the same thing where it's like, um, cause a lot of people who like, work, uh, like work for like magazines, like dazed and stuff. It's like, they're all clearly careerists. Like they all yeah. like work with the right brands. They all like um, not to like talk shit about someone in particular, but um, X dazed X <laughs> the, um, the <laughs> Isabella Burley. She was like an X dazed yeah. yeah, editor, yeah. and she I genuinely like she triggers something in me. I don't like everything that she makes. I'm like this is the blandest, most boring version of the thing that you want to do, and you know it, What's and that? you don't. <laughs> except no no the, the one exception being the Shane Oliver helmet line collection 
True, true. That's the yeah. only that's the only good thing she's ever done. Yeah. yeah. But like literally dazed under her supervision was like the blandest fucking most boring thing to ever exist. Yeah, who wants that? Who cares? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um I think she works for I think she works for Acne Studios now. I'm not sure. I think she works for Acne now, but she also has like a bookstore. Um, she's like vintage books. Um, I just, cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, I mean, it's like, it's like one of those things where it's like, I want to be you, but also like, I'm so glad I'm not you, you know, <laughs> like I wish I didn't have, like, I wish I had just like that exact amount of like careerism and ambition that it would allow me to do something like that but I just can't like if I had to sit there for all of those like board meetings putting like gender non-binary whatever people on the cover that mean nothing and represent nothing I would kill myself like I couldn't do it yeah which is why um you're not going to be scaling this um podcast into an empire <laughs> yeah I g- genuinely I couldn't yeah I can't yeah. do it <laughs> I mean but yeah, it could be I feel like this could be a bookstore and also a future film. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also going to start a magazine and a I mean, I could, yeah, and a fashion collection merch line. <laughs> no, I mean, I couldn't even run an Instagram account for those. I'm just like, I, I can't like, there's just something yeah. I like start shaking every time I have to think about it. I'm like, I can't do this. I just like want to talk about people. I want to talk about people. I want to talk about, I want to talk to people. I want to talk to, yeah. I don't, I don't have any like, <laughs> <laughs> well, we talked about this before, but like um, we talked about this privately together. But like, um, um, we both share a certain skepticism about a kind of podcasting that will be sustainable still, right? Because mm-hmm. like the takes based economy is fucking over. Like it's yeah. it's it's the 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 take stock is way the fuck down. No one gives a shit. Um, you know, the, the window for that opportunity has like kind of been foreclosed and you now have to get more productive with the kind of culture you make um, and the kind of podcasting that you do. Um, so where can we possibly go with that? Probably publishing. Like publishing is actually, you know, has a lot of potential. Absolutely. I think there's going to be a publishing revival. I think magazines are going to be the new thing, like 100%. And, and I can't wait to I think- develop early of that. um yes um no but I think I think you're right and I think there is but that's the thing though because I think the take economy is 100% over because I think and another thing as well is that podcasting is improv right like Mm -hmm. podcasting I think most mediums of today are improv, you know, whether it be like YouTube vlogs or TikTok reels or Instagram reels or whatever, or, or yeah. like any, like all of that stuff, podcasting, including is all improv. Like you think of yeah. stuff that you're going to say on the spot, it's all riffing. But like, I think now we're kind of entering an era where improv is just not going to cut it anymore. Like, yeah. I think all the talking that we did throughout the 2010s is actually going to have to amount to something or it has meant nothing whatsoever. 100%. And I think, and I think now it's kind of, I think now like the next like five years are going to be a very crucial time for culture yeah. in general and what it would mean yeah. in the future. Yeah. And I think that part of that also has to do with like, just how we conduct or our discourse in the first place so like you know what is the reason like why red scare will kind of endure as like a you know a lasting thing is because like it also introduced a reading list to the public you know the you know or 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 remade or made a certain reading list more popular right like um 
were these people necessarily reading Polya before that? Probably not. You know, right. that kind of discursive window really shifted. Um, so Wait, can I just say something? Sure. Um, I'm special because I actually um, got into Red Scare for Polya, not the other way around. So, <laughs> oh. well, you know, I got into Red Scare was through Finn McTaggart of Show Studio. <laughs> oh, interesting. Interesting. Mm. We're, we're special. Roundabout. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, I mean, just like, um, you know, if this moment were to be replicated or to happen again, I think that um, I think that it would demand a whole new kind of set of discourses that I don't think are going to happen anytime soon. Right. Because in order for that discourse to exist, actual culture has to exist as well. And now there's been too much discourse, too little culture. And it's like, we're all talking about the same things. And I think that's my biggest, I mean, I love podcasting because I love talking (laughs) and I just simply can't shut up, but like, um, but, and I, I just think it's like a fun medium as well. Like, I think you'd have a lot of fun with that, but I think my biggest problem with podcasting is that at the end of the day, you're, critiquing culture, but you're not actually doing anything about it. And the only way, I think the way, the reason why Red Scare stands out among other podcasts is because mm. of its location more so than the nature of the podcast of the podcast itself. Like I think the fact that, you know, they both live in New York, the fact that Red Scare is very much like a New York media based podcast and all mm. the New York media people are obsessed with it is what makes it a cultural moment more so than just a show where two girls talk about things they hate, you know, Yeah. well, as yeah. all the other podcasts that exist on Twitter, the majority of them at least exist sort of in a space that's um, similar as Red's mm. care, but because of their location, it's not quite the same thing. And it's like, even though like hate fiction was started a podcast as a podcast in London, like London is not the same city as New York and no. sort of the, the cultural, whatever landscape, like London is a lot more atomized than New York yeah. and people kind of like, it's a big city, but it's not, it's, it's a big city. While New York kind of feels like a small city when you exist in a particular niche. Sure. And so it's like, it's very, it's a very different sort of media landscape. And I think, yeah. and I think, yeah. And I think that that's why podcasting is ultimately culture is critique and critique is culture, but only for now. Yes. And I think that the other part of it too, is like criticism. I had a very embarrassingly earnest moment with an artist, like the first second I got into New York and I asked whether he thought that criticism was art and he just like flat out like laughed in my face. And I remember thinking afterward, like, you know, it really is the compliment to culture and to cultural production, right? It's the, um, it's the line of thinking that makes it more associative, right? Like that kind of branches out into different ideas and also kind of draws distinctions um, about what this does and cannot do. Um, and I just think to myself, like, um, you know, that is so not what's happening most of the time in the kind of podcast that I hear. I don't listen to as many, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't listen to podcasts almost anymore, like almost never. Um, but I think part of the reason why is because I think that what's essentially happening now is there's, uh, <laughs> um, it's not servicing culture so much as, bending it to certain kind of, I don't know, confining, not particularly, I, I'm tired of hearing about liberals, I guess is the kind of thing, you know? I, yeah, <laughs> from both sides. Food. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, 
yeah, I think, I think that's, I mean, to be honest, the first time I heard a podcast, the first time I was like, oh, this is like a medium that exists. I fucking hated it. I was like, yeah. what is this? I, I hate those. I hate all about this. And then I sort of discovered Red's Care and like the rest of like sort of the, like the Twitter sphere podcast. And it was like, oh, this is like something new and something cool. And I still think, I still think that podcasts are art to a certain extent in a sense that all critique is art now because that's the only culture we're allowed or have been allowed so far. It's a compliment though. It's not even generative, right? Like you can't imagine right. things with it. It's just still like, it's purely discursive. Right, exactly. I mean, it's like inter intertextual, right? Like you have to yeah. have a certain context for it in order for it to exist. It can't exist yeah. in a vacuum. Like podcasting is not an art form that can exist in a vacuum the same way that like painting can or like even like filming or like literally any other art form. Yeah, um, I, was, I was watching Hayao Miyazaki last night because I could. Um, yeah. And I mean, like the purity of vision and um, richness of those kind of films is not replicable in podcasting, I don't think, or not the kind of podcasting that's like take-based, you know? Right. But I mean, all podcasting is take-based though. Like I don't, like even like, um, like podcasts are sort of like, I mean, I'm thinking about like scripted podcasts, right? Like the one that comes to mind is like, you must remember this. I bring it up all the time because it's like, it's like the one that I kind of listen to that's like very Mm. liberal and outside of this niche. And it's like, even that podcast is like, it's still take base because it's like, right. Like she's like, she's like inventing her own sort of ideas and interpretations of the events that unfolded yeah. like in like early Hollywood or really like classic Hollywood yeah. era. But yeah, it's yeah. like all podcasting is by definition take base because that's the only thing that you can, because the story already exists. The story is already written down the medium that you're going to talk about, like whether it's film or literature or whatever yeah. already exists the only thing you can do is discuss it and the yeah. only way you can attract people to listen to you to discuss it or talk about it is by saying something new about it and the only way you can do it you can do it is by having a take <laughs> like it's or, all about takes or, or i would say that like i don't know what about like like ghost jail and isolation chamber because like that's different like that's, that's not different yeah like, but like, i don't even think they're play. podcasts like I know people are always like, oh, you know, Ghost Joe's a pocket. I don't, I don't yeah. think it's kind of like a radio drama in a way. I think yeah. that's a bit different. It's very different from like the which podcast where you just have hmm? which has potential for sure. It has potential. Absolutely. Yeah. I think audio has a lot of potential. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I think we're never gonna stop listening to things. I just think I just think that I think podcasts are still going to exist. And I think like the ones that exist right now, the majority of them, unless people like, you know, deliberately decide to quit, they're going to exist, but they're going to have to exist as a complementary thing to culture, as you said, not the center of culture. And now it's been like, you know, when we were all in isolation and when COVID was still going on, I mean, it's still going on, like, to be honest, but it's like, I think everyone kind of realizes whether or not it ends, we're going to have to start making things despite of it. Right. Yes. Like whether it ends, whether it doesn't, whether we still have to wear masks or get vaccinated or stuff, it's like, yeah. we're still going to have to actually make things. And I think, yeah. and I just think that, I think it's just time to make things. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I would also say like with the caveat that like, it also has to run up against the grain of reality as we currently understand it. Like, okay. Another COVID like, like early pandemic thing was like the disco boom that happened during the pandemic, which made no sense whatsoever. Um, 
like why the fuck are we listening to Dua Lipa and Jesse where like why is it coming out now as opposed <laughs> right. to, but seriously like, like, like we can't fucking dance to this shit we're not going to be able to dance to it for another year it doesn't make any sense for that to happen um I think that like I don't know the music that I listened to most during that time um was uh the the Charlie XCX pandemic album and then like footwork have you heard footwork before no that kind of genre um it's based on like re- re- repeating looping samples with different kind of varying drum patterns underneath it. So like, it sounds like, um, I don't know. It, it sounds like a, like a, like a gif of a song almost. Like it sounds like um, a sample that like is frustrated in time and can't break out of it. Like that felt so much more in tune with like my circumstances day to day where like, I'm like, desperately trying to fill my day with something to do you know as opposed to like you know being told to sashay away down the fucking studio 54 i don't even know (laughs) (laughs) right yeah no yeah there you're right um but that's the thing with like podcasts as well though because i know technically like um like whatever the rate that people listen to podcasts at whatever like went down during the pandemic because people stopped commuting and so there was like no mm-hmm. time for them to listen to but personally i only started listening to podcasts during the pandemic like during, really. yeah until COVID, until COVID, i like didn't like i i had a life you know like i didn't have to but it's like um but i think it's just that i think podcasts are kind of a logical extension of like tumblr curation like Pinterest Tumblr curation <laughs> yes. culture yes because it's ultimately that right like ultimately mm. podcasts especially like the podcasts that we know and love I mean at least I do <laughs> are yeah. all about like creating a particular curating a particular vision but mm-hmm. it's curatorial in nature it's not like the production of culture as much yeah. as it is like the the process of organizing it in, the, in a way that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And I don't look for, you know, the reason like why I'm so like gay about art is because like, that's where I'm getting that dopamine hit that like podcasts can't fucking provide, you know? Right. Um, like, like a painting, uh, <laughs> it's just color, but it's also just a different proposition for how you can look at things as opposed to, um, a rearrangement of the kind of familiar furniture that like I've already seen before, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because ultimately it's the creation of something new, you know, even if it doesn't yeah. visually look new, at least it feels new because it is new because it's yeah. produced and not because it's actually, yeah, because it's actually the production of something and not just a comment on the production of something. And I think, yeah. and I think, um, yeah, I don't know. But I, 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 I don't, like, I don't know how to word it properly, but I think it's all, again, interconnected with that, like, you know, like the fashion and sort of the, the popular, the popular culture of the 2010s and sort of the distinction between the real life culture that was being made and the online culture that was being produced. It's sort of, it's going to be the same riff now where it's like, you know, none of the stuff, like when I say podcasting is dying or like all this stuff is dying, it's not actually dying. It's like, no one's going to fucking quit. Like, let's be real. But it's like, it's just, it's not going to be the moment. And I think, I think, and I think when you're young, 
uh, and ambitious and you want to be of the moment. You don't just want to be in the periphery of that. And I think ultimately that's sort of, I think, yeah, ultimately that's kind of, I think that's going to be sort of the, the future of culture, if anything. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know, this, this moment that we've talked about today, it seems like it really is um, the last foothold of a culture that had consequence in space as opposed to purely virtual space, you know? And it also had like the kind of last gasp of optimism about what digital space could afford, you know, like we, um, part of like the latter part of it was like talking about like, um, like Calella and LaFonda and people like that. But like, I don't know the, the idea that finally we, there doesn't need to be any kind of dividing line between the hip hop that I'm listening to and like, um, the weird, like, I don't know, um, like, you know, electronic-based music in Turkey versus, I, I don't know, like, like, like that kind of wordlessness is actually deeply appealing and utopian in a sense. It just, like, has since curdled so hard because, like, it's, I don't know, it's, yeah, there's, there, there's nothing kind of to organize it anymore. Right, yeah, because I think, yeah. you know, I know exactly what it, I know exactly what you're talking about because I think, like, I mean, I was too young to, like, really live that moment, right, and, like, yeah. I exist in a very, like, I existed in a very, like, atomized Tumblr space. This podcast was ultimately about, um, that was very decentralized and very sort of almost like, um, dystopian in the way that it consumed all the creative energy around it and turned it into like, because I think Tumblr was all about like utilizing people's creativity and creative energies into producing extensions of already existing mediums. Mm -hmm. So like fan art and like fan fiction and like all of that stuff was all about, um, yeah, using people's talents and abilities to like extend the universes that were already created by other people. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, I think a lot of creative people, a lot of artistic people that had a lot of potential got lost in that. So like we got a whole generation of YA writers. we got a whole generation of like people who make furry Uh art on Twitter. We got a whole generation of that. And it's like, I don't know if you saw that. And it was like a really triggering fucking tweet Mm -hmm. where somebody was like, uh, if Michelangelo was like alive today, he'd be making like furry art or something like something like that. And it was like, Oh my God. Like, but also like those people are talking about themselves, right? Like they're they're ultimately talking about like the talent they feel they have and the way that it's been like sort of corrupted by like (laughs) this, like whatever fan. Yeah. And I mean, like, I get so, um, and this is like where I become like the, a, a populist uh, art critic. And like, like I, I get really upset about this because like people don't know what they actually have access to and what they don't have access to. So like, it is true that the art world is physically based in New York, um, but every city around the world has libraries and they have museums. Um, And you can look at beautiful things and you could be inspired by beautiful things and you can 
own them. Um, I know that like fan arts, I mean, but like what what is the best thing about fan art and furry art? It's like, it's available to you online. Like the threshold for entry is not intimidating. It's not, um, you know, uh, it's not snobbish. It's not any of those kind of things. Um, I'm sure they're toxic in their own way. It's furry art for God's sakes. But like, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I get so like upset by like the, um, the kind of sense that this is not something that you could own that like the Michelangelo couldn't be as immediate as furry art so that you have to like rationalize it in like fucking insane ways on Twitter. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's again, yeah, it's about accessibility. And I think the the reason people got lost in that stuff was because of how accessible it was. It was like spoon fed yeah. to you. Right. It's the same reason mm-hmm. people who are into quote unquote people who sort of like, have an interest in film get sort of consumed by like the Marvel Star Wars industrial complex, right? Where Mm -hmm. it's like, because it's so accessible, because it's spoon fed to you, because it's not intimidating, because as you said, like the threshold for entry is like basically non-existent, like anyone, anyone can do it. And it's like, I think, but that's a real tragedy. And I think, but I think slowly also, now that Tumblr is, I mean, Tumblr is never going to die, but like yeah. um, that sort of the popularity of it, actually, that's a lie. It's on the rise again. People are into Tumblr again. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that the Tumblr of today is very different from the Tumblr of like, you know, back in the day, but it's like, yeah. it's just that I think, I don't know. I'm, I'm very optimistic about this moment. Like genuinely, I think things I think people are ready for something new and I think things are going to happen that are going to be exciting and new and I don't I don't want to yeah. be like pessimistic about it anymore like even if COVID is never going to end even if this yeah. is going to go on forever I think people are going to have to start making stuff despite of it and like you know just because they can because yeah. I'm going to qualify I'm going to qualify that slightly because I think that like um the other difference between Michelangelo and fan art is the direction you're looking, right? As well, because like, so the threshold to entry for sure, but like Michelangelo is looking to God and fan art, you're looking at the, I don't know, your basest lower, you know, horny self. Um, But but I feel like, you know, the kind of culture that I want to see happen is, because you're right, I think that like that hunger isn't going to go away. I think that like um, it will motivate more art to come for the future. I think that if we want to see like a real valuable boom, though, we have to locate our eyes a little bit north of the horizon, right? Um, right. I, I say like God in this kind of circumstance because that's like what Michelangelo was looking at. Like he was looking toward God. He was looking toward a higher principle. I just don't think. I worry that like the precondition for having you know another boom of creativity is that the eye on the horizon is not nearly high enough, right? I, 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 I worry about this. I think it is though. I, I mean, I talk shit about the whole internet God obsessed thing all the time. Yeah. I think it's kind of blasphemous, but I think it's a sign of people. There's yearning for wanting, sure. Yeah, there's yearning. Exactly. Yeah. I think people want more. And I think, um, 
I kind of swore to myself that I wasn't going to talk about this, but like, you know, the whole Travis Scott um, (laughs) thing that happened, like, I think the, you know, I don't, um, I don't know what my opinion on that is, to be honest. I think it's all evil, whether it's Mm -hmm. like demonic or whatever, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But I think the way people were talking about that event, and I think the way that people who were at the event were talking about the event and the sort of the words that we're using says a lot about sort of the yearning again, that people have for something for something divine. And I think, mm-hmm. and I think that's going to be sort of the mode of production in the future as well, where people, I think people are ready for, I think people are ready for that again. I think we're yeah. sort of past that, you know, it's been, it's been fucking what, how many years of like, um, <laughs> the most base, like the, the most like hookup sex positive, whatever yeah. Yeah. shit that we've had. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, also too, like, like Lil Nas X breaks my brain because like I had Mickey Blanco and Leaf and Zebra Cats and all these other fucking people a, de- a decade before. Um, you know, this that's been done, baby. Like get like fucking right. move on already. Good God. Right. And I think the, 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 the <laughs> I think the difference between him and actually, I don't hate him that much. He's like, okay. Like, I don't Fine. care. I don't think about him, but it's like, I think the difference between him and someone like Mickey Blanco as well is that again, it's not root. It doesn't seem to be rooted in real life experiences. Right. He's like 20. He's like, he's like my age He's younger than me. He's like 20 years old. He's a zoomer. He he doesn't have any experience. I just fucking know he doesn't. And he's successful at 20 and anyone who's successful at 20 is a fucking nerd. Like you can't, there's no way, there's no fucking way he, you know, there's no way, there's no way he has any experience of me talking about this stuff. So it doesn't yeah. feel real. It feels like computer generated. It feels like he spent like those 20 years on Tumblr, like researching gay furry art. And now he's like making music videos about it. And that's what it feels mm-hmm. like. It doesn't feel like he actually knows anything. Well, well but like even that video is a, a remix of FKA Twigs, Salafane, and also Eve Toomer. <laughs> Right? Yeah, like it's, it's yeah, yeah, it's absolutely a hundred percent. Yeah, I was actually at a friend's house like the other day and he showed me that Eve's tumor video and I was like, wait a second, <laughs> like like wait, 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 wait. wait. Yeah. Um no, it's um yeah, I think I think ultimately though, our biggest problem is that culture got like the people who are in charge of culture now are just complete fucking nerds because I think we yeah. prioritized ambition and we prioritized productivity above everything else and above yeah. creativity as well to the point where, again, we have 20-year-olds, multimillionaires who are singing songs about like <laughs> their <laughs> hookup experiences, even though they've had none, you know, like it's like, yeah. it's just, I think, but I think that's changing. Again, I'm very optimistic. Yeah, I have hope for sure. I have hope for sure. And I think, um, yeah, I think that that yearning is definitely there in the culture. I hope that we could focus it, I guess, is my kind of um, only qualification. Like, I, I, I want it to be focused somewhere higher, higher than something shiny on the ground. 